0: This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land.
1: We acknowledge the First Nations and Elders of this country and we join their calls for justice.
0: I just had like a sudden craving for an enormous teddy and I kind of thought about it for like for weeks and I would, you know, stay up late at night looking at um, giant teddies on the internet and then I saw one in a shop just by chance and thought about it the rest of the day until I just went and bought it and like carried it through the shopping center
1: all
0: right i was having a difficult time
1: <laughs> <laughs> defeat was a gift tim wilson to recontest goldstein against independent mp zoe daniel now this is from december 23rd a long time ago emerald oh, we'd already pre-recorded I mean, episode gone on break and i just like we have to talk about this it's very important
0: all right, well, why is it so important?
1: Well, it's an update on our good friend Tim Wilson, Freedom Boy. Mm. Former federal Liber- Liberal MP Tim Wilson will set up a rematch with MP Zoe Daniel in the Melbourne seat of Goldstein, the only one of the six Liberals who lost to independence to confirm he will contest the next election. The 43 year old who has been studying for a PhD in economics. Of course he has. Red flag. <laughs> No good. <laughs> Will nominate for Liberal Party preselection in the coming weeks and is likely to face a challenger for the Bayside seat. Just so unlikely, and is unlikely to face a challenger. Yes, so in the preselection. In the preselection, means, yes. Yeah. yes, they'll be like Tim, the 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 good Liberal You're members. Like, oh, we could of have Tim. Rolstein. That We're is like-
0: surprising to me. God, liberals are stupid if that's true. But go on.
1: Get him back in there. Get him in. Mm-hmm. Wilson said he had to look deep inside his soul to decide whether he should oh. attempt to become only the second candidate to unseat an independent at a federal election. I'm I just Slightly imagine that. Slightly
0: clunky sentence, but, yeah.
1: Terrible sentence. And this article is very much like, go Tim. Like, you read between <laughs> the lines, it's like the age are very keen about <laughs> Tim Wilson returning to his rightful place.
0: Butler, Butler, Tim Wilson.
1: Yes. There's, the, 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 the little teals got all uppity and the people made the wrong decision and, mm. you know, order should be restored. The Liberals should be returned to power. <laughs> What do you think that search deep inside his soul was like when he was like, oh, should I get back into politics? I I just don't Uh, know. I love my PhD in economics so much, but should I try and run again? Oh, what should I do? It's
0: just so hard. Yeah, he's been doing lots of journaling, I'm sure, and kind of, you know, walks by the ocean at sunset (laughs) and and thinking, I would like... To receive that salary again,
1: <laughs> I, I guess I, you know, obviously I'm still going to be prime minister for the first game, Australian prime minister. So, I guess I'm going to have to get back into that I bloody have parliament. Have do this, yeah. Wilson has battled perceptions of arrogance among his critics um, and everyone else in Australia, and he <laughs> acknowledges his style and career direct trajectory might have fed a critical view.
0: What
1: Does that mean? Hey, can I be brutally honest? I think defeat was a gift the community gave me.
0: Wow. (laughs) Thank you for being brutally honest, Tim. That is really vulnerable of you. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for sharing, Tim.
1: Fucking brutally honest. Wow. Mm. Because since my teenage years, I've been a man in a hurry trying to make up for lost time, which I had lost, over the trauma of coming to terms with my sexuality when I felt trapped. And I think people could see I was in a hurry and then thought probably I need to be humbled And part of me thinks they were right. (laughs) I love it because he's being brutally honest and he's being humbled, but only part of him thinks that the people were correct in thinking that this guy fucking sucks and doesn't deserve to be in Parliament anymore.
0: Tom, I feel like you're being a little bit ungrateful here because he's literally doing this for all the other little gay men out there just like you. That's true. So maybe have a little bit of respect
1: i mean i don't want to be you know everyone has their own journey good luck to him. and i assume tim wilson did go through a difficult time coming to terms with his sexuality but wheeling out trauma at this stage he's 43 he's never used any of this kind of language before he's explicitly rejected any kind of identity politics quote-unquote toxic Mm. nonsense in the past i don't know mate shrug If he was on the left, he'd be out with the trauma from the get-go, you know, like you got to...
0: Yeah, that was his mistake. If he had come out trauma first, maybe he would have kept his seat.
1: I think his biggest trauma was losing Goldstein in 2022. I mean, people remember there was an article on like all the liberal losers and what had happened and how difficult (laughs) it was after they'd lost in 2022. And uh, he said he said that he was planning on setting up his own climate and energy advisory business, post-politics, utilising his experience <laughs> as a junior minister for industry, energy, and emissions reduction. I'm wow. very open about the journey I've gone through from fetal position crying on Sunday morning through to seeing a psychologist yesterday. Wilson told an energy efficiency conference in the week after his electoral defeat. Why are you doing this? Yeah,
0: that's um, <laughs> everyone just, just some kind of scattered claps throughout the room. <laughs> but-
1: it was- <laughs> Thank you for having me at this energy efficiency conference. I guess the trauma <laughs> began when the results came in at about 7pm on Saturday. What are you talking about? Do you like wind farms or not?
0: Wow.
1: Wow. My question to you, Emerald Moon, is, is Tim Wilson the liberal version of Terry Butler? Is he uh. the mirror the of mirror reflection? Um, is Terry going to run again? Do you, I was going to say, do
0: you think Terry's coming back? Is that what you're. Well, I don't I, know if she's. I don't know. I'm
1: sure she's searching her soul.
0: But she's already set up. Like, she's got her cushy jobs as, like, whatever she's doing, a lobbyist for the air. For the, for um, the air. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call that? She's Playing getting paid by industry? Big Air.
1: Circular <laughs> Australia.
0: <laughs> Isn't she doing. Or am I mixing her up with the other one? Um, Jackie Trad. No, Terry Butler's doing something with. Aeroplanes.
1: Uh wasn't she gonna be the advisory board for Brisbane Airport, I thought, but Circular Australia Circular Australia. Yes.
0: Right. So they are similar and they're both passionate about, you know, a clean economy.
1: I can definitely imagine Terry Butler searching her soul, being humbled, hmm. thanking the community for giving her the gift of defeat mm, to reassess their priorities. And yep. to come back and take away that evil bastard Max Chandler-Matha and all these empty Greens extremist promises and mm. uh, deliver an ever stronger Albanese Labor government in 2025.
0: Well, let's see. Can't wait to find out.
1: <laughs> if you want the doll for life, free marijuana, vote Greens.
0: They pretend to be a group that cares about people. And they don't care about juice.
1: They want to destroy the social fabric of society. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo shithouse podcasts. This is a serious danger Australia. Hey Tom. Emerald. Welcome back. It's
0: 2024. This is Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. I'm Emerald Moon. That's Tom Ballard. Hi. This is not... We've had a reevaluation. evaluation It's the start of 2024. We've decided to continue the year as not an official Greens Party podcast. So thank you for asking about that, all the messages we received. Um, this podcast is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. And this week we're talking about the Howard-era cabinet documents relating to the Iraq war that were released or not released on Monday. And then just recapping some News Corp anti-Palestine nonsense (laughs) that's been going on over the last week we are not of course going to be talking about the list of celebrity names that are hanging out or were hanging out with jeffrey epstein before his mysterious death (laughs) tom why why not tom insisted that we weren't allowed to talk about this.
1: I've got some friends on the list, okay? I've got some mates and I just it's don't personal. think this is a place. Yeah. yeah, it's just like right. I'm recusing myself from that discussion. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Me and yeah, Stephen Hawking used to hang out all the time and I just don't think it's fair for me to drag right. his Right, yeah.
0: Girl. That's a loyal man right there, everyone. <laughs> Speaking of loyal.
1: We can't talk about Koshi though because Koshi was not on the log. It was Koshy. not that David Kosh.
0: Did you? I didn't know that Koshi owns that he is the head of compare the market the you know with the meerkats oh, the, the compare market meerkats. insurance thing Jesus Christ. I had no idea and i it was always kind of like you know this insurance comparison i've used it that's fine to me they don't charge me money sure. but then they've started running ads i don't know if it's just up here in brisbane on buses with massive picture of koshi and then like his signature being like hello i am the head of compare the market which i love thinking about because like He's surely taking this to some sort of board meeting and being like, I know everyone loves the adorable meerkats, <laughs> like the company's doing really well, but I feel like we, we could really take it to the next level if we used me.
1: I can do a problematic Eastern European accent or whatever the fuck they're supposed to yeah. be. I can do
0: it. <laughs> yeah. I really think that there will be other people like me who are like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Anyway, I had a good segue earlier, which was, speaking of loyal, because I wanted to thank our new patrons. Very good. Uh, thank you, Yuris, Adam, Shaz, Liz, Michael, Melody, Tommy, Mr Gameface, Gary, AM, Steph, Jane, Alex, Jack, and Gabby Bolt, I believe, who yes. was the, your guest co-host. Uh, thank you for becoming a patron over the break. It's very sweet and kind of you.
1: Yes, we released an episode this week, my conversation with the musical comedian and satirist Gabby Bolt, uh, who uh, was touring on the Chasers War on 2023 tour. She had this fantastic song about Albanese selling out, uh, particularly in Palestine, brilliantly really done. We played that song in full on the episode, discussed the writing of it and the you know, the issues surrounding it, and she's awesome. And then, yeah, I just mm. noticed that she became a patron. This is a fantastic system. So nice. The <laughs> Patreon guest to patron pipeline is just right. uh you know, bolstering our bank account, which is fantastic, yeah. helps supports the show. Gabby already supported the show by being a guest on our yeah. on the show, and has already so tweeted some money.
0: Did we tell her that the only way she could listen to the product of her, you know, contribution of labor? Oh, yeah. was to give us money. We and- probably
1: should have done that. <laughs> they- maybe she just wanted to have a listen back yeah she's like just wanted to
0: check out how the edit came out (laughs) to give us three dollars
1: sorry gabby your money is ours forever now uh just three bucks a month you get that bonus content yes the gabby bolt episode this week we do lots of things on the patreon we read inside the greens by patty manning we talk to cool celebrities have a bloody laugh and a bloody chat Mm. and all that money helps us keep the lights on here at serious danger so patreon.com forward slash serious danger au if you can afford it and you want to help us out. Thanks.
0: Yes. Yay. So we may have been having a break over the last couple of weeks, but you know who does not stop, who does not <laughs> take, take a break? Well, first of all, Israel's horrific war on, on Gaza and, and Palestine. Um, but of course... They're not
1: big into Christmas, I think, uh, Israel. They're, yeah, they're not, yeah. Not, not, not no, no, that's right.
0: Good. Yeah, I guess they they didn't really take a break for that for that reason. That must be why. <laughs> You know who also doesn't take a break is News Corp. News Corp Corp. on their hideous kind of uh, discourse around Israel and Palestine and their vilification of anyone who dares to stand up in support of Palestine Um, because they've got to create, you know, good stories to create good conversations around this wonderful time of year at the dinner table, I I imagine, because (laughs) Arnie Shireen has seen the Sky News story about so-and-so and how everyone's turning into little terrorists and they're teaching terrorism in schools now or whatever. Um, yep. Did you have any good conversations about Israel-Palestine with family or that sort of thing over, over the break?
1: We didn't get much into politics at the Christmas table uh, so much and generally speaking, I think- Good, as it should family, be. Well, indeed, let's <laughs> give it apolitical. I did watch the Carols by Candlelight on Christmas mm, Eve. That's right. When there was a protest, people storming the stage- um, calling out solidarity for Palestine and uh, calling for an end to the war on Gaza. I thought those people were fucking heroes and, of course, was the inevitable culture war fallout. Of course, the uh, the Carols by Candlelight is no place to make a political mm. statement about peace, for God's sakes, yeah. cut to a whole bunch of songs about how we need to love one another yeah, and uh, peace on Jesus earth, wants us to, cetera, to peace on know. earth, yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. no. We want... <laughs> Those messages without any political direct contact or any questioning or, or direct relevance to the world as it currently is. We mm. can't have that. On the same night that Israel was literally storming Bethlehem, I believe, which is in the mm. West Bank, in the uh, Palestinian-occupied territories, literally storming the birthplace of, uh, of Christ. Yeah. Um, but, no, we can't talk about any of that. We need to focus on these generic messages of peace without connecting them to the world as it is. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's... That's the classic, that is the threat actually, isn't it? That it's like, oh, this is not the place for X, which is the classic conservative line, whether it's climate change or, I don't know, gun control in the States or whatever, Um, or just, I don't know, LGBTQ, just people existing. Existing. Um, And then it's politics and it it doesn't belong anywhere, it seems. Because there were these these two stories that have come out in the last couple, oh, sorry, actually in this last week. That are also along that exact same line, that kind of angle. The first being think of the children. Think of the children. Yeah, and this is not the place for politics, right? Uh, because there was the the first one is these News Corp articles about poet and novelist Omar Sacker apparently accusing Bluey of promoting genocide, and then okay, yep, and then the other one is around Qantas staff wearing Palestine flag badges like little pins on their uniforms and pa- this passenger said that they felt intimidated and um they were then counselled by by Qantas and been asked to resign and, and all that that sort of stuff so like they're both these two stories I want to run through them because yeah they're both examples of News Corp being like look at all these places that people are talking about this thing and everyone should be quiet and stop.
1: <laughs> and it's important we write an article about this and not about the Tens of thousands of people that have yeah. died as a result of this insane assault on an innocent population. Mm, yeah. That's bad. By one of Australia's major allies being backed in by the US and Australia. That's sure that's happening, but you know, yeah. let's talk about Bluey. And one person's tweet and a badge for God's sakes. Mm, yeah.
0: yeah. Did you see the Amar Saka's poem? Like this this whole story?
1: It briefly came across my desk. Yes, I saw. I think I saw Omaz, his desk. He
0: says, I, "Oh, okay." Well,
1: that's what that's what I call my X feed. <laughs> um, I saw Omar's tweet being like, "Oh, I see why people are yeah. v- hurling abuse on me because of this yeah. uh, news news headline." And I, I I honestly couldn't be bothered waving waving mm. it. So I'm glad that you're going to summarise it.
0: Yeah, I yeah. No, I get, just fairly quickly because it's it's a poem that he wrote called. Bluey in the genocide, that's the title of the poem, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we can play even a little clip from the Sky News story about that poem where News Corp has said that Omar is accusing Bluey of promoting genocide. a Muslim novelist has taken aim at one of the most popular episodes of the cartoon Bluey accusing it of promoting genocide in an Instagram post Omar Saka wrote we watched the cricket episode all iconic draws and summer games a dedicated pub learning to play while his father was away it goes on and on and on and then it ends there is a a desert full of dogs soldiers and guns and somewhere out of frame Arabs being put down let's take a look at the part of the episode he's
1: referring to. Oh, out you go, Bingo. Well done. (laughs) Just keep your eye on the ball and take care of your little sister for me. Love, Dad. Honestly, Sophie, this is pretty ridiculous as a take, isn't
0: it? Leave leave me alone. I'll leave Bluey alone, but, like, Caroline, they were whinging about Bluey a few months ago when Bluey was saying get on the scales and do some exercise. (laughs) That's right. uh, Because you're fat and parents were (laughs) outraged. I mean, give us a break. This is a cartoon. Can we stop taking ourselves so seriously? Uh, I mean, this is the cartoon that's made Australia, you know, it's it's made international fame. Uh, So I think this is a little bit of a stretch, to say the least. (laughs) A little bit of a stretch, to say the least, they say, Tom.
1: Would you agree? I I like how she says the poem just goes on and on on. on and on. It's like ten lines. Yeah.
0: There's something about the way she reads the poem as well that it's like, you know, the the disengaged, like disinterested kid is asked to read poetry (laughs) in English in high school and they're like, we watch the cricket episode, all laconic draws and summer games, a dedicated pup learning to play while his father is away. Um,
1: <laughs> it's like, Caroline, you're supposed to be outraged by this. You should read it in full yeah, and lose your fucking have really mind. given it. You can't introduce this story and then say this is ridiculous. You're, you're talking about it. This is your story. Yeah. You're bringing this to the table, you crazy lady.
0: Yeah. We could read the rest of the, like, that's the start of, of the poem. The poem does continue. I'll just read it. It says, his name is Rusty. He's a star at bat. My son laps it up, as do I, until the end. The scene shifts, and there is the distant dad in combat fatigues. And I learn, even in this cartoon world, there is a desert full of dogs, soldiers and guns, and somewhere out of frame, Arabs being put down. Uh Good Lord. Yeah, which like, but the <laughs> the point of the poem is it's part of a series of poems that are like in the genocide poems. So Other poems in this series include Rain in the Genocide, Arguing with My Sister in the Genocide, and My Wife in the Genocide, which I don't think that Omar is accusing his wife of promoting (laughs) genocide. It's about like the way that life, you know, you experience life and life kind of continues in these mundane moments as a genocide is unfolding in another part of the world and you're like interspersing, you know, watching Palestinian children covered in in blood and rubble on your phone with then turning on the TV and watching this and then you are kind of reminded when you see that little, you know, cartoon dog who's at war that, oh yeah, there's a real, there's a real war <laughs> going on.
1: So- I mean, look, i have vaguely across Bluey. My niece loves Bluey, of course. Mm. Everyone loves Bluey, yada, yada. But in the Bluey world, did 9-11 happen? <laughs>
0: <And> did, <laughs> well, it must did, have because I think did. that Rusty's dad is in Afghanistan. I'm also not a Bluey <laughs> yeah. watcher, but that's my understanding. Is there
1: a is there a dog Taliban? I, uh, like uh, what is what are the rules of this universe that we're going to try?
0: Well, and this is the uh, argument, right, is people like like it's a – fucking cartoon about dogs like what but it's like the whole point of bluey is that it is just literally human world but they're dogs that's yes. that's my understanding of it yes
1: and the thing that people love about Louis is that it says something about the human experience mm. and life and this uh episode in particular cricket is like the mm, number one
0: it's like the most popular thing. one the
1: cricketers love it because it yeah. celebrates cricket but also men connecting with their sons and like feeling sad yeah. yada, yada, yada. like it is a highly celebrated beloved cartoon that is trying to say something about the world in which we live and yeah. omar as is in perfectly titled to do mm. is having a creative response by writing a poem reflecting on his experience mm. um, as, a, as a person looking out at the state of fucking genocide that's being rolled out in this world and seeing being unable to escape it anywhere, even in yeah. a children's cartoon that he's watching with his son.
0: Yeah, and News Corp have like very clear, like I don't think, I mean sometimes I'm like maybe conservatives are just so kind of, unhinged by their own fear and like the anxiety that they've like whipped up for themselves that they genuinely believe that there are these crazy leftists who think things like oh bluey is promoting genocide and we think everyone who watches bluey is racist or whatever they're trying to say that like leftists are trying to say maybe they genuinely believe that but i mean it's more likely they know that this is going to outrage people and they are using um, an actual person, like, they know that by publishing this story, Omar is going to receive, like, horrific abuse. And yes. he was posting some of the, the things that he was then, you know, receiving from viewers of, of Sky News and people saying, like, oh, people, like, you should be put down, uh, calling him a racist, what, like, just, you know, threatening him. Uh, yeah. And the news corp were just like, oh, well, like, what's it to us? They're so funny. Well, Didn't someone either. point out that there
1: was no byline on the article either, right? So news.com.au will publish these articles with no journalist mm. names attached or whatever because, like, heaven forbid they receive any comp, yeah. uh, you know, feedback online. Like, we know yeah. that people do that would be crazy, but here we can identify this this person who, now Omar is fantastic, but a poet that the vast majority of people would not have heard of. Yeah. Who will simply find him on, on Twitter or social media and just pour scorn and racist abuse on him because mm. of this bullshit Bullshit beat up. I mean, look, we discussed about a news.com dot article about this show, right? The, yeah. the <laughs> sort of only coverage that serious Two has got yeah. anywhere near the mainstream media was a misrepresentation of what I said on mm. the show about a no voter, and because they knew that that was going to mm. absolutely get outraging clicks. Yeah, I mean, c- in this story, you've got Bluey, massively mm. popular. You've got wokeness. You've got the word genocide,
0: and because it's, it's because it's, it's a children's show, which is also important. You've got to have the elements, yes, kids, the children. In there. Yeah.
1: It's actually, yeah, it's a, it's a clickbait outrage bonanza. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. Yeah, like the the, the article, the um, Daily Mail article. Was it Daily Mail or Daily Telegraph? Daily Telegraph, sorry. Didn't have a byline. But then I only realised after putting, I started putting together, just looking at these two stories. There was this one and then there's the one which we'll get into about the Qantas staff and mm. went and watched it. And it is the same Sky News reporter who covered both. It's, what's it, Carolyn Marcus Oh, yeah. Is clearly she's got she's got the like pro Palestine panic <laughs> kind of beat yeah. at Sky News, and she's very passionate about covering it and bringing these stories to the people. Um, so I did want to thank Carolyn for her service. Uh, she's clearly Carolyn, we need a lot to hold a
1: powerful account. You need to hold mm. these these poets and, and flight attendants. Star- yeah,
0: flight attendants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she's doing that. She's doing that for us. So, you know, we, we have to you thank go, her. Girl. Fourth estate, hey? It's good to have a watchdog yes. out there. Um, yeah. Did you see that? Like, so, okay, were you across the Qantas stuff then? This story about the badgers?
1: I As did someone see this. who is a
0: member of the, the lounge, I believe, aren't you?
1: I, I, I happen to be a gold member, mm, sure. I'm sure you would endorse- receive
0: communication about this, perhaps an apology, I would hope. <laughs>
1: No, I think we're allowed to wear whatever badges we like in the, uh, in the Qantas club, mm, so Just yeah. as long as we keep it in the lounge.
0: Keep yeah, it in fine. the lounge, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this one, for anyone who missed it, basically News Corp, again, it was a fucking, there's Daily Telegraph and there's Sky News covering this. Uh, they published photos of a Qantas flight attendant wearing a little Palestine flag pin badge like there's lots of flag pin badges politicians often wear them i've seen Mm -hmm. politicians in parliament wearing israeli flag ones and obviously a lot of them also wear australian flag etc um but yeah this flight attendant wearing a palestinian flag uh on a melbourne to hobart flight the passenger was saying that they felt intimidated by this and then mm-hmm. so News Corp runs these articles with that and together with the Australian Jewish Association saying that this is divisive and the airline staff should be sacked for, um, you know, pushing politics onto a captive audience. They had this thing about <laughs> like you're, basically you're trapped in a plane in the sky, you can't jump out the window <laughs> if you become too uncomfortable because people are talking about uh, the politics of, you know, an unfolding genocide. <sighs> um, and so that's why it shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed.
1: Incredible. <laughs> I mean, now, it, we should say the Australian Jewish Association uh, is bullshit, right? That's, that's yeah. like a crazy dude on Twitter. It's and,
0: a lobbyist, and Lots of yeah. people
1: want to make the point that yeah, it is in no way, even, not even a, though that we yeah. we also have lots of political disagreements with the actual peak bodies and the representative bodies like the Zionist Federation, etc. The Australian Jewish Association is basically a Twitter account who are out of their fucking mind. Yeah, um, and uh this the photo in question was supplied by who's mm. this guy again? He's so he's a Har- liberal party guy
0: Harrison Graffinarcus, and perhaps okay. then, after they published the story, they got Harrison on for an interview. It's a really awkward interview because he keeps speaking over the delay and so they kind of awkwardly speak over each other um awesome. and she he has kind of shit answers. Maybe we can play a little bit. How did seeing those flag badges make you feel as a passenger?
1: Intimidated. Intimidated. I mean, in Melbourne, every single day we saw, you know, countless Palestinian protests going through the city and they were quite intimidating. They're loud, they were aggressive, and it was similar. Getting onto the Qantas flight and seeing a bunch of the staff wearing it, it's not something I wanted to see. When someone boards a flight, they want to go from point A to point B, not be indoctrinated with politics
0: he has some good points to make like jihadism is not just from Palestinians uh sure what okay uh and he's saying that yeah Qantas what does he think should happen Qantas should sack the staff that did it so he took the photo sent it to Sky News or News Corp or whatever it later emerged and thank you I think it was alternate media watchers on on Twitter and a few people were quick to point out that this guy is a former Liberal staffer, or maybe even current, like a Liberal staffer and former president of a Tasmanian right. Liberal Party branch. So not just a not just a punter, not just a guy. This wasn't mentioned at all in any of the coverage, uh, and people noticed that he was friends, like him and Carol and Marcus, our friend from Sky News, are friends on social media. So presumably she would have known that this is a Liberal Party hack and still was just like, yes, this is a story and we won't mention that. I mean, yeah, why do do we bother trying to apply editorial standards to these people? But it is pretty fucked.
1: Well, I mean, and this is just so infuriating because it's, and I know, I know, I know in no way you're the first people to point out the hypocrisy of the uh, wokeism charge, right? But Mm -hmm. I mean, like, imagine if this was an Israeli flag. Yeah. And, and and, and the, the mirror image happened and anyone said I object to this Israeli flag being worn by the staff yeah. Sky News would do a story about Semitism. the triggered woke left and anti-semitism yeah. yes. they'd be like what are you talking about it's just a badge what the fuck's wrong with you yeah. just chill out but of course they're the most triggered snowflakes of all they really triggered are. by flags by a sign saying free parking that they thought said free Palestine yeah. by a bluey a poem about a bluey yeah. cartoon yeah. for fuck's sake
0: well, these uh, are the most the triggered snowflakes of all they fully are and apparently I mean like this is how the fucking you know the the hard left like very conservative media punter politics cycle perpetuates itself because they kind of mix in like fact and fiction and they no one it 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 never starts from a real normal person actually being concerned about something it is from someone with an agenda whether it's Mm. media based or like politically based, and they then create the story which then does get more normal people worried because they think right. that this is a crazy like they think that there there is kind of extremism out there or that you know leftists have these views or that you're gonna be fined a thousand dollars for using pronouns like by for saying mother or something um and then they become radicalized and then they become the people who then feed the stories to radicalize people further like the cycle is so fucked. Apparently there's even yeah, like I was looking at this because there, there seems to be some sort of angle that Qantas is is woke. Now at like Qantas in particular.
1: Well, of course, marriage equality, and they have the acknowledgement of the right. traditional owners when they land. And of course, they're on board the voice.
0: Okay. And if
1: they shouldn't be focused on that work. Should, they should be focused on exploiting their employees as much mm, as possible. Yeah. And funneling dividends oh, back to shareholders. I think they so, I mean, can do both. And me.
0: that's what's wonderful about <laughs> <laughs> the world we live in, Tom. Uh, there were people, apparently, <laughs> there was this uh, article in. View from the Wing, the conservative news outlet, that said pro-Palestinian statements and activism has been common among Qantas flight crew over the past month. On a Qantas low-cost carrier Jetstar flight from Melbourne to Ballina, a flight attendant ended their announcement on takeoff with Free Palestine. The airline says they investigated and concluded that the passenger must have misheard. (laughs) (laughs) The passenger was like, did they say? (laughs)
1: Free
0: peanuts. They said
1: free peanuts, you fucking idiot. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and they're also talking about how an Israeli citizen who came back to Brisbane apparently was told at the Qantas check-in that it's terrible what your government is doing. Um, and something about your government is dropping as a result of bombs, which I I would say was actually maybe referring to the government dropping bombs. Um, but, yeah, it's also it's kind of like, I mean, it is terrible what your government is doing, if that's true that someone said that. Like...
1: Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's but both of these is like totally, totally fine. In my book, Free Palestine, yeah. wear the badge. Your government fucking sucks. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy your flight.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, have a safe flight. But no, of course, Qantas is then forced to, or they do, they just came out straight away throwing the employees under the bus. Uh, they put out a statement. They said, quote, we understand there are strong and opposing views on the current conflict, but there oh, is God. no room for these to be expressed by our employees in the workplace. Oh, yeah. unauthorized badges can't be worn by employees and we've reinforced this to the crew member involved along with the seriousness of this particular matter okay our priority is creating a safe and respectful environment for our customers and all our people so they said they off. would yeah they said they would count employees i mean they haven't fired them yet but i'm sure that the mob will continue paying for this to happen they news corp is still trying to like milk this for all that it's worth so emma who it turns out was the Uh, the flight attendant that the photo was taken of and posted um, by Harry. Mm. Uh, And she messaged this group called Palestinian Christians in Australia to basically ask for help and was like, I work for Qantas, I'm a strong advocate for Free Palestine. My photo is being posted all over Sky News Australia for wearing a Palestinian pin during my shift. I need all the help possible. I haven't yet had a conversation with my company and where my employment leads. This must have been pre that conversation. And she's like, I need all the help I can get to fight against the person who reported me to media if this jeopardizes my career, basically, because she's Mm. fucking shit scared of losing her job. Uh, And then it's almost
1: like cancel culture. It's almost like being canceled. People Mm. are lobbying for someone to be fired for their political views. Yeah, I thought Mm. that we fucking hated that, but no, apparently. It's like free
0: speech around here. Um, But then News Corp has taken that message and the fact that she used the word fight, like to fight back against the person who reported her to the media, and is trying to run this like violent, I don't know, some sort of like Palestinian terrorist kind of vibe by focusing on on the concerning commitment to, quote, fight. The person who reported her it's like fucking hell give it a fucking rest um so who from
1: the palestinian christians in australia leaked that message to news Corp? What, well, what, what's I think, their politics no
0: so i think that they posted it on the group and was like so you know solidarity oh, with right. emma let's support her she needs our help oh, kind of thing okay
1: i see right um, okay gotcha yeah and news Corp and they that. just saw
0: oh, that that's right yeah oh. so i mean i don't know solidarity with Emma and solidarity mm. with everyone who is like continuing to do that. I'm sure she was doing her job just fucking fine while also supporting Palestine and we agree.
1: Yes. I mean, again, the, you know, the, the language, the the discussion around sa- safety, yeah. this is a big thing and this is often critiqued on the left. I personally would say there are probably a bunch of examples in which you know, woke culture would have excessively placed too much emphasis on safety and would have undermined people's ability to be like, all right, just be an adult, realise that other adults have different opposing views, you will survive, you'll be fine. But clearly, as Felix from Chapo House says, everyone's the same, okay? So the same (laughs) language about safety has just been adopted by the right to say, I feel unsafe by seeing Mm -hmm. somebody else wearing a pin that might suggest they have a political views that is different to me. Or yeah. And so so everyone gets to weaponize this idea of safety all over the place. That's so true. In the endless culture war about this bullshit. You know, it's it's and that's why the real left should perhaps be a bit more skeptical about some of those other instances, mm. but you know, call this out for the hypocrisy that it is. I just before we started, I saw there's a story about, you know, the city Mardi Gras released a very generic open letter statement just saying, hey, we're worried about the safety of israeli and palestinian members of the lgbtqi plus community we encourage the australian government to uh, um, do everything they can to ensure international law q news corp doing a whole bunch of stories with uh gay jewish people being like i don't feel safe at mardi gras anymore now uh,
0: even though they said both israeli and palestinian like they they both sides it, and they still yeah
1: <laughs> they okay they got fucked over and who knows at mardi gras yeah who knows whether a pro, surely pro Palestinian people should be allowed to march. There'll be if there are Palestinian flags at the Mardi Gras, I'm sure there will be a oh,
0: it's gonna be a fucking
1: A, a controversy. A quiz for Palestine as much before. I wonder how that'll go. When is Mardi Gras in early March?
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. we shall see. Good
1: luck, guys. Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's legacy is death and despair.
1: To see the trial of Tony Blair. So, on Monday, the Australian National Archives released Howard government cabinet documents from all the way back, going all the way back to 2003. The mm-hmm. cabinet documents' confidential- confidentiality expired on the 1st of January of this year. So, now we get to take a squeeze uh, and see what they're up okay. to. What was Little Emerald Moon doing in
0: 2003? Uh, so, I was eight or seven. And I wonder if this is around the time. Maybe it was a little bit before, but I was very much dreaming of being an actor. And so I was probably doing audition tapes and, um, I don't know, really into circus at the time, I would say. Really? And going down to the creek. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's very cute. Very
0: into circus. Yeah.
1: What happened? Why did your dreams die? Why did you become an actor?
0: Mm, puberty. Uh, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't get any roles. I was not a good actor, I guess. Um, and yeah. <laughs> How about
1: you? I sort of became an actor sometimes, kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's good that some people were good enough to have their dreams fulfilled.
1: I guess so. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what the Howard government was doing. They were deciding whether or not we should join the invasion of Iraq for absolutely no good fucking reason whatsoever. So Mm. in the grand scheme of things, your failure as an actor, not that bad.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for saying that. needed to hear that.
1: This is from The Guardian. Australia joined the US-led invasion of Iraq, one of the most contentious decisions of John Howard's prime ministership, without a formal cabinet submission setting out a full analysis of the risks.
0: Just vibes-based Ca- then. <laughs>
1: just, <laughs> just felt right at the time. Yeah. They listened to their truth and they said yes.
0: Yeah, they did a tarot reading and it said death and they were like, yes, okay.
1: We do need a change, Yeah. <laughs> Cabinet papers published by the National Archives on Monday show the full cabinet signed off on the decision on the 18th of March 2003 based on oral reports by the Prime Minister. Okay. Oral. Yeah. Howard gave the moral, and then (laughs) went to war. I knew. I knew that was going to be a highlight of this episode. The record of the oh. cabinet's decision contains no mention of any doubt about Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein's continued possession of weapons of mass destruction. This key justification for the war fell away after months of failed mm. searches after the invasion. all gone. Mm. The cabinet further noted that Australia's goal in participating in any military enforcement action would be disarmament of Iraq's weapons of mass destruction. The document sent to that they weren't there. They didn't
0: exist.
1: A month before this, Howard had told the parliament that the Australian government knows... That Iraq still has chemical and biological weapons, mm. and that Iraq wants to develop nuclear weapons. We know this. They know comrades. They just, they just feel it. A comrades yeah. of U.S. report later concluded that Iraq had destroyed its last weapons of mass destruction more than a decade before the March 2003 invasion, and its capacity to build new ones had been dwindling for years. So those, like, that was the big takeaway from this week once these cabinet documents came out was there was basically very little discussion, analysis of the risk. We were just like, yep, Howard Mm. says we should do this, let's bloody do it. Is that Mm. any shock to you at all, Everald? Were you surprised?
0: I mean, yeah, like, that's what, because I am someone who's just like, well, yeah, we knew this, but I guess I don't know what kind of substantive evidence to this effect existed before, like, whether this does, I don't know, provide another layer beyond a shadow of doubt
1: it's it's yeah it's interesting because it's this sort of builds on memos and leaked documents and analysis in the you know past 20 years in which regularly it's come out that we made this decision based entirely on politics that howard was provided information uh, by his own security agency saying that we have no evidence whatsoever that we're open to mass destruction Mm. and we have no evidence they're going to build nukes and then we have no evidence that not doing this will embolden North Korea to uh, (laughs) further their nuclear program either. That's just, we just didn't have that. So I suppose, as you say, this is another piece of evidence that sort of fills out the picture, I suppose. But I mean, as people listening to this will know, uh, Howard is not in the Hague. <laughs> Nothing happened this week mm. in order to hold John Howard account. What do you think about this process of of releasing cabinet documents? So it happens twenty years later. Yeah. Cabinet documents are sealed for twenty years. They get confidentiality before they're released by the archives. They go through a massive vetting process in which security agencies get to look at them and say, "No, no, the Australian people don't get to know this yet." Right? Is it transparency? So Does it help with accountability at all, or, or is it all just theatre?
0: So it's like that thing where you do like a memory. It's a, a time capsule.
1: Time capsule, You know yes. when
0: you, you put little things in a box mm-hmm. and then you bury it and then you dig it up in 10 years and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought that. I can't I believe can't we believe. were like they've got weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> that is so embarrassing. You know what? That is so 2003. That is so 2003 of us. It's like
1: a Facebook memory that pops up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it the same as like what was the deal with, with the US where we they released all the um, documents that proved that aliens exist?
1: Yes, a bunch came out during the pandemic in which they were like, yeah, we definitely have seen heaps of UFOs. We have this, um, yeah, lots and the of And there's
0: 9-11 ones hey, as well. But, I'm, I, yeah, I just don't understand because I'm like, because if they can still just decide, like if they could still look at it and be like, if they if they still have the ability to stop certain documents being released or yeah. to redact documents, then like who fucking cares, they'll just do what they always do because they never release anything that they think will materially damage the the government or, like, have any great consequence.
1: Yes, Uh, yes, indeed. And, I mean, yes, everything that is being released is stuff that I guess they say we're allowed to release. Mm. uh, People who know more about this than me would say, well potentially if there was any kind of attempt at a cover-up or if some information was redacted and that could be challenged through freedom of information requests perhaps you might argue that
0: oh yeah foi is very effective <laughs> really easy to use <laughs> yeah easy to use
1: They always yeah, get, you get heaps
0: out of it yeah
1: but i mean I, I suppose in this case it's like okay so australians get to know that 20 years ago the Prime Minister, who's still alive, is still kicking around, still widely respected by the political and media classes, still lauded as a hero by his political party, uh, oh, made the this guns, insane Tom, decision. You, which, the, the yeah, guns. This is this is after the guns. <laughs> um, he's, he made this terrible decision and then it's like, oh, well, well, isn't that crazy? That's a fun bit of history, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, pro- and probably more often than not, Prime Ministers are normally dead 20 years after there. Cabinet last time they sat in cabinet, generally God, speaking. Maybe.
0: Isn't that depressing?
1: <laughs> so here are some of the little tidbits we learned from this release of this information. Howard took the matter to invade to his full cabinet for endorsement on the eighteenth of March. This occurred without detailed paperwork. It's a bit weird. Mm. He briefed his ministers on his extensive discussions over a period of time with President Bush and Prime Minister Tony Blair concerning the disarmament of Iraq of weapons of mass destruction and the possible use of force against Iraq if it failed to disarm. So he was just like, "No worry, everyone. I'm chatting to my other (laughs) war criminals, George and Tony, and we're good to go."
0: How have you never done that before?
1: I'm pretty happy with my Howard, I'll be honest.
0: That's pretty good.
1: There was no the brows
0: (laughs) and walking.
1: Kill of all! Oh
0: my God! Okay.
1: There was no submission to cabinet on costs, benefits, and implications of Australia's entry into the war, wrote Associate Professor David Lee from the University of New South Wales, Canberra. This was notwithstanding the fact that the Iraq commitment was, in Howard's words, the most controversial foreign policy decision taken by my government in the almost twelve years it held office. This indicates, in Howard's
0: words, yes, when
1: in Lazarus Rising, in his book, I believe Mm, he's sort of saying it was controversial. But uh, we still nailed it. (laughs)
0: Mm.
1: This indicates that Cabinet's National Security Committee was the locus of decision-making on the war. And this is an important little detail. The NSC Mm. is sort of a a committee set up by the Cabinet. Uh, Their documents have not been released, which is kind of crazy. So we don't actually, the guys who are making the actual decisions about the war can't actually, we're not allowed to see them. Um, Under legislation, Cabinet documents are released after 20 years, but National Security Committee documents that do not go to the Cabinet are precluded from automatic release okay they can be applied for release independently from oh. the 1st of january with a decision made by the information commissioner on a case-by-case basis
0: so presumably someone's applied like every i'm
1: sure every year media journalists put in the thing and they yeah. get back a piece of paper with just black squares writing down the, the whole thing
0: yeah yeah
1: but it's pretty crazy like Howard set up this the nsc it's a it's a committee set up by the cabinet makes all the big decisions No, almost no democratic oversight. Yeah, totally. He loved it. Great. In 2000, 2003, there were 64 meetings of the NSC on national security and 250 submissions, obviously the vast majority of which based around the war in Iraq. Mm. Howard has written the NSC was the most effective whole of government arrangement with which I've been associated as prime minister, which is fucking insane, right? Like, again, just his inability to reckon with the absolute disaster and horror show that was the Iraq war. And he said, no, this secret committee that I set up to give the thumbs up to that. So awesome. Like probably the best thing I mm. ever did.
0: Fuck, he's in, yeah, okay. Can't needs to die. Satire.
1: goo, <laughs> And he talks like this. And he's bad at cricket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently there was an oral briefing from the then chief of the ADF, Peter Cosgrove, and chief of the Air Force, Angus Houston, with, uh, without, uh, about Australia's force's readiness to invade in the Middle East. The briefing also included possible risks of military action in Iraq, including the risks to Iraqi and other civilians and to the various elements of the contingent, as well as the scope for risk mitigation. But the details are not recorded in the cabinet minutes.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, not important. Not important. Whoops. I only took minutes on the important stuff. You don't want to waste paper.
1: Just a reminder, the kind of devastation we're talking about, I mean, the death toll estimates from the Iraq war vary widely. Everyone agrees it was at least 200,000 Iraqi civilians died as a result of that war. Some estimates range up to a million, and that seems to be, you know, what what do you count as a death as a result of the Iraq war? Just mm-hmm. the resulting violence uh, and instability of the region that flowed? Do we count ISIS yeah, right. in there? Regardless, it was very, very bad, an absolute shit show that caused the death of hundreds of thousands of people, Yeah, all of it based on an absolute lie. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry though, Australian Defence Minister at the time, this guy Robert Hill, he did an interview about the release of the Cabinet Papers and he said he believed the government made the right decision on the information that was available at the time. He said Saddam had had weapons of mass destruction in the past and the issue was whether he'd gotten rid of them. Mm. Asked whether it was now clear the decision was flawed, Hill said now we, know, now we know he didn't have the weapons of mass destruction. Well, that would have been a different information base from which to make a decision.
0: So he's like, yeah, we were operating out of a vacuum of information. Yes. And like, so on the basis of absolutely no clear information, we made that decision, and that's good.
1: Well, the information they did have was deeply spurious. I mean, people will remember the insane reports that came out, these aluminum tubes that Dick Cheney said this is definitely nuclear-powered mm. stuff that was all bullshit, Colin Powell being an absolute cuck and going in front of the United <laughs> Nations giving a bullshit demonstration about stuff that he knew was not true, trying to justify mm. the war to the United Nations. They had intelligence that uh, that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. It was bad intelligence and they should absolutely be held to account for making this disastrous decision based on that shitty, shitty evidence.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And in fact, we know like Howard ignored reports from his own defense intelligence organization, reports saying there's no chemical weapons production, there was no known production. Howard was advised in late 2002 that Iraq obtaining fissile material was an unlikely event, and even more starkly that Iraq does not have nuclear weapons.
0: so but if we'd known like that lying. I mean if we'd known
1: that information, which we actually did know Political at the time, game. then that would be a different thing hmm. And perhaps another wrinkle in this, and I think this is important, I feel like not enough people were across this particular dossier. It was published in 2017 by the Sydney Morning Herald. It's called the Secret Iraq Dossier. And basically it lays out clearly that Howard made the decision to join the invasion of Iraq purely for political reasons to shore up our relationship with the US. Okay? It was this hmm. big... Um, have you ever heard of this? Did this for your No. Mom? Is this big internal report, report that got declassified, it was obtained by Fairfax Media, written between 2008 and 2011 by Dr. Albert Palazzo from Defence's Directorate of Army Research and Analysis. Big comprehensive thing. It was eventually released with 500 redactions. But even then, the report concludes that Howard joined US President George W. Bush in invading Iraq solely to strengthen Australia's alliance with the US. Howard's, and later Kevin Rudd's, claims of enforcing UN resolutions, stopping the spread of weapons of mass destruction and global terrorism, even rebuilding Iraq after the invasion, are dismissed in this report as mandatory rhetoric. John Howard and Sir Peter Cosgrove, facing domestic political pressure, ensured that Australian lives were exposed to as little risk as possible. The result was a contribution that was of only modest military use and, in many cases, made little sense. Politically, delivering the right force was secondary to the vital requirement of it just being there, but it led some American military officers to grumble that Australia was providing a series of headquarters. It was managed from the top with a keen eye for the politics and the public relations, yet frustrated commanders often asked what they were doing in Iraq, and many took to writing their own mission statements. That's fucking terrifying. Uh, One commander mm -hmm. wryly summed up his time in Iraq thus, we did some shit for a while and things didn't get any worse.
0: Jesus Christ. But, I mean, you know, like the the horrible part to me is that I think there would be people who say that that's a valid justification for doing this, like that strengthening ties with the US right. is a reasonable justification sure. because they don't see the consequence of that. They don't see, yeah, the fallout yep. as sufficiently, you know, as outweighing that. They're like, that's worth the hundreds of thousands of people who died because they are primarily Middle Eastern people. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, well, yeah. And, and also, yes. And the alternative to defy the US line on foreign policy is simply mm. not an option. Like, what do you want to do? Go yeah. against America? That's crazy. No, yeah. we can do this. Yeah, you're right. A bunch of brown people will die and we'll be protected from the blowback because we're allies with the US, which is still the biggest military in the world and still calls the shots yeah. on a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah. And they're like, yeah, of course. Sounds like a wise decision.
1: But it's like, what's worse, doing that knowingly, I guess, or and then, so mm-hmm. so you commit to this war because you want to shore up, you want to mm. suck George Bush's dick, and then you have to send, uh, you know, the children, sons and daughters, yeah. yada yada, of, of 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 civilians and of your own citizens over to join this insane, bloody, bullshit war,
0: yeah,
1: and you want to hope for an to honorable
0: man- cause, for an honorable
1: cause, hopefully, That's telling them we- constantly that you're doing this for freedom and yeah. democracy, and because Saddam Hussein yeah. is Hitler. Jesus, how do you fucking sleep yeah. at night? Yeah. There's some stuff we don't know after the release of these documents this week. Apparently see the Morrison government fucked up, okay? It failed to hand over no. some national security-related cabinet documents. It's
0: breaking. Um, <laughs> Morrison government <laughs> fucked up.
1: And he went to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> the Morrison government failed to hand over some of these documents that relate to the Iraq war to the archives back in 2020, okay? Now these missing oh. documents were found on December 19th. <laughs> in a cabinet no. suitcase or something. I don't
0: know. Oh, oopsie.
1: And, of course, the department blamed administrative oversight and blamed COVID at the time. And COVID was ding, crazy. Ding, 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 COVID. Yeah, it was just crazy. Was that? So because they were so late, it means that they can't be scrutinised. So once they're prepared for publication, as oh. they're being prepared for publication, it takes ages. So they need to be scrutinised. And the department is now saying it was just a mistake. We will get these out um, as soon as possible within 90 business days. Okay. Excuse me, which is breakneck speed for bureaucrats.
0: That's- yeah, that's, wow. <laughs> Well, what's going to get cut for that to happen?
1: Anthony Albanese has announced a review into that mishap and make sure that doesn't happen again. Oh, and thank he was it was quite on his uh, soapbox. He said Australians have a right to know about the decision was made. Obviously, we'll yeah. check all this to make sure that no one's killed by the release of the information. But Australians do have a right to know about the decision making process that led to the disaster that was at the Iraq war.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. We love him.
1: The Greens, of course, we're not happy. We're never happy.
0: We oh, what now? What are we whinging about? Albanese said they've got a right to know.
1: <laughs> the, what
0: have the Greens got to say? The
1: release of the 2003 Cabinet Papers barely scratches the surface of the Howard government's disastrous decision to go to war in Iraq and reinforces the need for a parliamentary vote before committing Australia to future wars, Green Senator Nick McKim said.
0: Of course he did, fucking hippie. Of
1: course he bloody does. I think he's the acting Greens leader at the moment. Um, I think the holidays.
0: Oh, good for him.
1: McKim has demanded the full <laughs> release of all National Security Committee and Cabinet documents related to the 2003 decision, which committed Australia to the US-led coalition of the willing to invade Iraq. McKim said the papers mm-hmm. that have been released still don't reveal the entirety of the flawed intelligence and failures of political leadership and were a missed opportunity to learn the lesson that war should never be entered into on the basis of a lie. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. a good lesson.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but who, but this is where I'm like, yeah, like is there really more that could be released that would, then if we just got the rest of the documents, then we would learn the lesson not to enter a war on the basis of a lie.
1: It's hard to imagine things like being released that would still shock us. Remember like back in the WikiLeaks days where people were actually shocked by The the machinations of statecraft and what governments got up to. It is is very hard to imagine what document would be that would come out that people would go, okay, that's actually ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, of course, they should be released in full. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to learn the lesson just from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, so he's sort of saying that the national security documents, all this kind of stuff, they they should be released because Australians deserve to know more. Committing Australia to war in Iraq was one of the most consequential decisions an Australian government has ever made, yet the secrecy which has shrouded that fateful decision continues to this day. Australia remains in the dark about exactly what advice was provided to the government and exactly what process was followed to decide to commit Australia to an illegal war. I mean, it's like, it also sounds like there aren't any documents. It was Howard literally talking to his Mm -hmm. cabinet saying, Yeah, that's kind
0: of the problem. Yeah,
1: we're all going to agree with George Bush and Tony Blair here. Yeah, and they all said, thumbs up.
0: Yeah, which I guess is then what McKim gets like, then the Greens are like, and this is why the decision should be made by Parliament and not cabinet or just fucking the guy the Prime Minister at the time.
1: Yes. Uh, McKim said this is a perfect example of why these decisions should be made by Parliament, not Prime Ministers. We need a safeguard to protect peace and that needs to be in the form of a parliamentary vote before committing to war. Mm. So we've mentioned this once or twice on the show before. This is Greens Party policy reforming the war powers. At at the moment, the Australian Executive Government can make a decision to commit Australian troops to overseas conflicts. While parliamentary debates on conflicts are common, any votes taken in the Chamber are not binding. Mm which is pretty wild we're we're really alone in the um west in this respect Most, Really?
0: I didn't know uh, that.
1: Western democracies have a parliamentary process to commit oh, so to war. Oh, so just like
0: the UK, US The
1: UK has to. Yes. Does that's the why US? there had to be a vote. Yes, yeah, there has to be a US oh. vote as well. And that's why there are yes, some people on the record, like, you know, when you talk about
0: yes. Obama voted
1: against the war or, or Cl- oh, Hillary right. Clinton voted for the war, these these are like the Congress motion. Huh. Um, in the UK, even though it was a Labor government, Tony Blair was fully fucking on board and some brave Labor MPs like Tony Benn and uh, Jeremy Corbyn were standing up saying, no, thank you, this is an absolute travesty. Um, mm. and at
0: even least though it was he-
1: the Labor government that was, that was making that decision.
0: Yeah, and I guess the argument being that, I mean, even if you weren't able to prevent... War on this mm. basis, like even if you didn't have the numbers to do that, at least the government is forced to bring that decision-making process slightly more into the public eye. Yes, and people would be a little bit more informed on uh, what it, what is arguably like the biggest decision that you can make for and about a country. Like yes. it's where perhaps the most significant like expenditure of money is yes. is made, and yeah, most loss significant of life, kind of to- yeah, loss of life. Global exactly. events.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the argument seems to be it's too important for democracy. It's right. actually it's actually yeah, too yeah. important a decision to let the people have a say whatsoever. Wild. The Kim said the Greens demand that Labor reform the war powers so that a parliamentary vote is required before an Australian PM can repeat a mistake like Iraq without basic democratic oversight. Here, here. Now, this is where it gets very interesting because there was a joint parliamentary committee chaired by a Labor MP. That held an inquiry into the war powers. It hmm. released its findings in March of last year. I don't know. Maybe
0: okay. we I don't. Yeah,
1: considered talking about it last year, but don't even remember. The committee, again chaired by Labour MP, concluded the government should retain its powers to ascend Australia to war, but provide more oversight of its decision-making process. Classic. The government broadly accepted the report's findings. Oh, that's good. While committing to improving I, openness mm. and accountability in any decision using the war powers. So, fuck you. So,
0: I think I do vaguely remember this. Yeah, now.
1: so Labor gets all this credit for being like, hey, we were against the war. Simon Crean said we should not go to the war in Iraq. Now, they were in opposition, okay? Their position was we should only go in if there's a UN Security Council resolution that makes it legal which you could sort of say well it's still a pretty shitty position but okay that was their position but i think that the serious question is if labor was in government at that time would they seriously oppose the iraq war uh if they in government do they really think they'd go against the u.s uh wisdom if the u.s government was asking to evade do we seriously think they'd have the balls to refrain I mean, from doing that. Because, based on
0: recent events, like and based <laughs> yes. on the approach to Israel's war in Gaza and, right. and to Palestine, where they continue to just toe the line of whatever the fucking US says and not want to upset anyone in that kind of allied group, you know, they, they absolutely would have made probably the exact same decision. Uh, and then they would have done a review of it because that is the difference between <laughs> yes. Labour and the Liberal Party. <laughs> They do the same thing and then they order a review.
1: Transparency <laughs> review. Yeah, fucking yeah. hell. I mean, yes, Israel, Gaza, AUKUS, the, all the warmongering with China. When Labor is a government, Bob Hawke was a fucking CIA informant. I yeah. mean, ultimately, yes, they just fall locks to death. It, easy to be in opposition and sort of say that's that's yeah, this is not the case, this is bad. But then when you're in government, you get handed a review, to, you get an opportunity to reform the, reform the yeah. war powers, to actually learn a lesson from the horror show that was the Iraq yes. War, to do something about it. They go, no, 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 we're in government now and we actually think the government should hang on to that power. Fuck the people. Fuck the parliament. No, that, that should actually be our, our decision. We're not going to relinquish any power whatsoever to democratic oversight.
0: Mm. Great.
1: Cunts. <laughs> No, I, I know The Office was really brilliant back in the 90s, but to me, in, in his stand-up, uh, Ricky Gervais, is sort of like the, the Boris Johnson of stand-up, right? <laughs> By which I mean he is a narcissistic populist who's clever enough to know better, courting the attention of angry, disappointed people and taking no responsibility for the consequence of his words. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Not really, uh, no laughs there Whether there with a song.
0: Do you want to tell everyone about your little show, Tom, before we finish?
1: I love my little show.
0: You love telling us about your little shows. Go ahead.
1: Well, I do want to say big thanks to Green Senator David Shoebridge who came to see my stand-up show this week at Fish Creek in regional Victoria, weirdly.
0: Not an official Greens Party podcast and yet.
1: And yet. And there was also a, a staffer from Adam's, <laughs> Adams office mm. who came to, I think. This is my demo. But I'm doing a Greeds gig for the wonderful Mandy Nolan, former guest on Serious Danger. Uh, she's doing comedy fundraiser on January the 24th. That's Wednesday night. It's called Some Like It Less Hot. Get it? Climate change. Yep. And it's Good. raising cash to help turn Richmond green. Mandy came so close in 2022 yeah. from winning that seat. She's awesome. She'll be a fantastic MP. Uh, at the Mullumbimby X Services Club, we're doing comedy. Mandy's emceeing. I'll tell some jokes. And if you're in Mullum and you want to come along, uh, it'll be a really fun night. We'll put the link Great in the show club. notes.
0: Great little video. Good- oh, yeah, yeah they've got a they've got a uh, vegan army. So
1: yeah, An ex-services club with vegan options. That's good. Now, do they play the last post at a certain time? I've had friends who have done gigs in RSLs. Wait, really? And at the same time every day, they you stop and they play the last post. Even Ooh, if I don't a know. comedy I, I gig is happening that. during that time.
0: Oh God, that would that's gotta be your worst nightmare.
1: Pretty Fuck. brutal. Uh, Mandy for Richmond.com is where you can find out all the information about Mandy Nolan's campaign, and that's also where you'll find tickets for the gig. If you're in Mullum, I'd love to see you there.
0: Hmm, cute. Uh, also, though, because I'm like, I wanted to come and see the show, but I don't know if I'll be down there. I'll probably be up here in Mansion Brisbane because it's Invasion Day weekend and, you know, I've got a lot of celebrating <laughs> to do. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I will probably, if I'm up here, be helping out with the barbecue that the Greens have helped organize for the invasion day rally for the last few years we do as most places uh, most cities in australia have a march to protest the celebration of the invasion of this country on the 26th of january um varying groups you know as i'm sure we'll talk about between now and the 26th call for abolition of Australia Day versus changing the date and I think we've spoken about that in the past on on the podcast but whatever it is, it should not be fucking Australia Day on the 26th of January. So call to action is to start looking now for an Invasion Day rally near you. Hopefully there will be one near you and ideally if there is a way that you can connect with the organizers of that rally and offer a, a hand, you know, chopping watermelon, providing sunscreen, water, uh legal observing um marshalling food whatever it is there is always lots of work to be done for these massive events they're some of the biggest rallies in the country um every year so there's a list on pedestrian.com or tv, which we'll put in the show notes and there's another one from antar that's got a few more on there so go and check that out
1: thanks very much for listening we're stoked to be back in 2024. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star review. That would mean a lot. Or wherever you're listening, give us a five star review. That helps spread the word. Follow us on social media at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And for anything else, just go to SeriousDangerPod.com. Thanks, Emerald Moon. Love you. Love you too. (laughs)
0: Serious (laughs) danger Australia.